Pacino's off in his own movie. Yeah, he's doing the Dunkachino commercial. From... Dunkachino! I saw somebody making fun of that scene, of the Dunkachino scene, uh, for being like, oh my god, this is so lame. It's like, that's the fucking point. That is the that's point. That's the point, you, yeah. you dumb asshole. <laughs> Uh, getting <laughs> irrationally to, mad. Oh, no, not to defend Jack, Jack and, and Jill. Jill. Oof. No, but like that was the point of that scene. Yeah. Media literacy. There's like a, it is there's rough. a problem. It is fucking rough. Hello, Mission Recall listeners. I'm Oriana Schwint. I'm Steve Parkhurst. And today, we've got a great ad. Nope, <laughs> that's not it. That's not it. That was pretty good. I thought that was pretty good. Great ass. There we go. That was it. That peaked so hard. I'm so sorry. We're sorry gonna to have all to, the listeners. We're, we're going to have to. But you know what? He peaks. Uh, <laughs> Al Pichino. Pichino. <laughs> Over here. I did not know actually that that was from Heat. That I had meme. seen I had seen that clip. I had seen the meme. I didn't realize it was from Heat, which is what we're talking about. Talking about Heat. Talking, talking Heat. Talking Heat. Michael Mann facts. <laughs> Jesus. Yes, this is Michael Mann's 1995 magnum opus would we call it a magnum opus i, I feel think like we it's, can we can call know, it whatever we uh, want. yeah we can do anything <laughs> starring of course al pacino dunkachino robert de niro duncan duncan niro duncan niro <laughs> and like a whole and everyone bunch else of other people hank azaria is in this yeah let me just quickly run down this is just from uh, wikipedia because i can't possibly remember all of them. We got Val Kilmer, John Voight, Tom Sizemore, Amy, Amy Brenneman, Amy Brenneman, uh, your girl from The Leftovers, Ashley Judd, Ted Levine, Dennis Haysbert, William Pickner, Natalie Portman, Tom Noonan, Hank Azaria, as you mentioned, Danny Trejo, who gets such short shrift, and he, we'll talk about that he later. Does. Henry Rollins and Xander Berkeley and Jeremy Piven. Yes, Jeremy Piven is in this movie looking like... Like a schlub. Like a schlub, which was like... As God intended. Yeah, how that was supposed to go. And he decided to like spit in God's face, I guess. <laughs> Piven's such a weird one. Like he started out and with like college comedies in the 90s and he was always kind of a schlubby, like an obnoxious know-it-all, you know, kind of a over-the-top character, but like schlubby. And then somehow he got slick. Through the magic of Harry air plugs and I don't want to know what what, what other intervention. Yeah. But anyway, he's there. It's just I feel like a lot of 90s movies do this where you're just like, "Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh my god. Oh shit." Uh, over and over again and but this one is like top this three. might be the most where you're like oh my jesus because so many of them are just there for one or two scenes like big names like tom noonan has like one scene in the beginning and he's gone we never see him again yeah uh xander berkeley's just a guy who's fucking al's wife uh <laughs> ralph yeah, his name is Ralph. Uh, yeah, yeah, he only Ralph's. gets a scene. And, like, because there are so many guys and, you know, a couple ladies in this, mm -hmm. there's a guy towards the end of the movie where who, like, 
in profile kind of looks like Vigo Mortensen. Really looks like him, yeah. And Steve was like, oh my fucking God, is that Aragorn? And I was like, <laughs> wait, what? And we actually went back to like try and figure it out because it would not really be surprising no, if would he had totally appeared in this. Sense. Yeah. Like he wasn't a big star yet. Uh, you know, Lord of the Rings wouldn't even start filming for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had had smaller roles and stuff like Witness. So it's totally plausible that he would pop up for like a scene or two. Anyway, that isn't Viggo It's Mortensen. not. <laughs> but... Uh, a guy who kind of looks like him. I mean, 1995 is not quite a 1997 in terms of like what a year for movies that appear on this podcast. Right, but it is... I mean, it, like, what an incredible year for dad movies. There's this, there's Apollo 13, which was last episode. There's uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, which mm-hmm. we also did recently. I think this might be the most dad of the movies. I know Apollo 13 is really the, the king dad movie, but this is like... Apollo 13 is like what your dad watches with you and heat is like what what you watch like when you've reached a certain age I want to say like yeah, heat is a movie for dads who you know like once the kids have gone to bed mm-hmm. like you know maybe dad goes to the theater alone or with his buddies <laughs> uh, but like this is not a dad movie that he's gonna sit you down with you're right Apollo 13 is like Come on, kids, and then I'll explain science to you yeah. as, as we watch it. But Heat is like, it starts out with Pacino fucking his wife, which is yeah, upsetting. I, it's This movie is like, what if The Godfather fucked? Which is, I don't like it. No. <laughs> I like the movie. I, I've, this is a good movie. It's a very long movie. It's so but, fucking long, man. But And we'll talk more about my feelings on that in a minute. Um, but this is like, what if The Godfather fucked? Right. Both De Niro and Pacino are kind of horny in this movie. And I don't like that. Uh, like I, I, I accept De Niro a little more than Pacino. And what's interesting is like, so his love interest is Amy Brenneman. And you look at them and you're like, ooh, like Uh-oh. De Niro's getting a little craggy. Amy Brenneman <laughs> looks very fresh faced. But it's actually like, yeah, it's like a 20 something, you know, 21 ish year age gap. But Amy Brenneman was like around 30 when when this was happening. So it's it's not like the worst thing in the world. Uh, yeah. No, like it's, it's not unacceptable. nearly. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, well, you're 3.6 uh, <laughs> It's the 3.6 Ronkin of age gaps. Yeah. Not terrible. Not great. You know. Uh, but yeah, it's also though, just like Pacino in particular, it, falls into the Tom Cruise mold. For very different reasons. For a completely different reasons. No, only, I'm only saying this in like, he's a guy I never want to picture in a sexual situation. Correct. I don't imagine either of them as sexual beings. That's not what I want to watch them doing. No, thank you. No. Uh, like I'm not Clooney, about it. I'll watch Clooney fuck all day. Well, yeah. Uh, but no Pacino, no Tom Cruise. And De Niro in this is at least like less creepy and weird. Yes. Uh, with how he I think, handles like, women. He, he seems less like horrifically emotionally unstable. Yeah. Like he's, he's not unavailable, like, but yeah, he's not unstable. He's not like, oh my God, I don't know if this guy is gonna like throw a TV at my face. Exactly. Um even even the stuff with Amy Brenneman towards the end of the movie where like he does, you know, 
constrict, kidnap her essentially. Yeah. Uh, you know, that I'm, I'm not worried he's going to like, I'm a little worried he's going to hurt her, but not like that worried. Yeah. I guess I, I was never worried he was going to hurt her. Uh, right. I, it was it just more, I was worried that she would get hurt sort of uh, in, caught the in the crossfire. Yeah. I don't know. Should we just talk about let's Pacino just talk and about, De Niro? Let's talk about this. So this was like peak for time for both of them where they had established themselves as like the er actors. Yeah. For like 20 years, they had both been like just putting out like fucking masterpiece bangers. after masterpiece. And they were both really at the height of their game, the height of their body box office draw. Yeah, about uh, to start the decline, I feel like. Literally within like a couple of yep. years for both of them. So this is sort of their peak for both of them. And this movie was marketed entirely on oh my God. it being Pacino and De Niro together at last. Like they had starred in the Godfather 2, but they did not share any screen time. Yeah. This was the first time they were sharing screen time, and that was huge because, holy shit, it's these two guys. What's so interesting watching this is that De Niro is so much better. He's just a better... At this point in his career, in their careers, De Niro is far and away just, like, the better performer. I don't really know what happened with... Pacino, especially like in particular in this movie, because when I think of like Pacino sort of overacting, I had not seen Heat. Uh, I haven't seen Scarface, but I have seen clips of Scarface. But Scarface was 1983, which feels like kind of a long time before this, because my theory was like Pacino was getting stuck in, in this sort of mid 90s era. He was getting stuck in screamo mode he so a lot of actors sort of his generation i feel like in particular not a lot of actors a few a small handful i think of christopher walken a lot of kind of doing the same thing where they became sort of a parody of themselves Mm -hmm. and the mid 90s were the peak parody era for Pacino, where he was kind of in a weird limbo where he was still this well-respected, you know, Oscar contender who could be in high-profile mm-hmm. dramas. and But then he was also just hamming it up. Well, what's interesting is, like, he spends most of this movie at, at 11. Yeah. Occasionally, it's when he does do real, just regular acting, where you're like, oh, yeah, this is, like, this, this is, is the guy I, like, yeah. remember. When it scenes, like, with him and Natalie Portman, the, the, scene, the scene with De Niro, you're like... Yeah, this is the guy I remember. This is the, like, you're capable of nuance, but, like, the rest of the movie, it's just like, oh, my God, this doesn't feel like a person. Well, he feels like a cartoon character. And, like, at the time, you know, he had been really headed in that direction, like Scent of a Woman, Glengarry Glen Ross. Does he yell a lot in Scent of a Woman? Oh, that's weird. Uh, Yeah, well, he's just very kind of over the top and I don't know if flamboyant is the right word, but sort of that Pacino flamboyance. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And then he also, the devil's advocate for Christ's sake. I mean, that's just scenery chewing for days. So like this was his era and then he had kind of found what worked. Like people were responding. He was getting Oscar nominations. Yeah. Uh, He was, you know, kind of Donnie Brasco. That's another one where Mm. like he was very praised 
and like it did well. So he had every reason to ham it up. It was all positive reinforcement for him. Yeah. And like De Niro never fell into that same trap. He did fall into like a little bit of a trap of kind of being like a tough guy. He's, he's, yeah, there's a long run of him playing essentially the same guy, Goodfellas, Casino, I guess, slightly older. Sleepers, Copland, Jackie Brown, Ronan. You know, and then he started to play with it, with Analyze This, and then would later mm-hmm. do the Meet the Parents movies. So, like, he also kind of fell into self-parody, but he's just so much, even when he's parodying himself and, like, Analyze This, at least, like, he's not exhausting to watch. Yeah. You know, he's got that sort of simmering calmness that you know he could kill you mm-hmm. if he wanted to mm-hmm. very easily. He wouldn't bat an eye, but, like, there's this calm demeanor to him that's what yeah. de niro does whereas pacino's like this guy is a fucking hurricane he's just a lunatic just yeah. a raving fucking lunatic uh and i feel like i understand where that comes from i guess in in terms of like the movie of wanting to sort of set these two men who are both alike and very dissimilar at the same time right but I don't think it quite works. Well, yeah, it's weird because it's, you know, about how, like, both these men can't have relationships. They can't really, you know, settle down and have regular lives, and neither of them really wants that. Mm-hmm. And it's like their inner demons struggling with these lives that they've chosen uh, and how they do kind of want what everyone else has, but they also can't get out Could of their never, own way. Yeah. But, like, watching De Niro struggle with it is so compelling. And, like, you kind of root for him, even though he's the bad guy. I was so sad and when yeah. he got shot. <laughs> yeah. And that's the appropriate ending for him. Like, that's it is, what it should yeah. be. Pacino, it's just, like... There's no inner struggle here. You're throwing TVs out into the middle of Ventura. Yeah. <laughs> You're just an asshole. Uh, no wonder you can't keep a marriage together. You're just completely insane yeah. all the time. Yeah. And like that, the diner scene, when they finally sit down and talk, Pacino matches De Niro's energy and it's great. It really works. It's a great scene. Like it lives up to the hype. Yeah. And I will say, you know, the movie is very long. But that scene does feel very earned at that point. It is like, oh, wow, yes. Like, they've been kind of circling around each other for an hour and 40 minutes now. So, like, I'm happy to see them. And it is a great subversion of expectations, you know. And, like, subverting expectations became such a crutch for so many filmmakers. Which is a bummer. But in this, it works because you expect their first meeting to be some kind of, like, action scene yeah shoot or a shootout or, or something you know really big and dramatic and it's just two guys having coffee uh, at a diner in a diner and that's that's very good that's clever mm-hmm. and it allows them to just act at each other so you know in talking about like the two of them de niro and pacino and like their different energies and how pacino kind of feels like he's in a different movie a very different movie and uh, again like i understand you're kind of setting up these two guys as you know very different styles like different men but pacino doesn't match the movie in a lot of cases like the great ass scene is so weird yeah it's so weird although i do love hank azaria's reaction it's very funny what i'm used to hank azaria being the wacky guy right even though I know, like, uh, you know, he wasn't 
he was less of that in Brockmire. He was very good. I liked I Brockmire. Um, it's pretty I'm solid. Sure, it was good. What I'm curious to know is like, did Michael Mann not? Was he like, well, I can't, I, I can't control Pacino. He's just like this. Or did he encourage it? Was he like, yes? There's ways to control that in the edit. I feel like, yeah. Or you can do the Kubrick thing. And kind of, oh, do one for me, one for yeah, you, yeah, and yeah. then just use all the ones for me. <laughs> uh, he did that with George C. Scott in Dr. Strangelove. But I have a hard time believing Michael Mann would get pushed around that much. Like right. he, he was a was big fucking deal. A huge deal in 95. But then again, Pacino was Pacino, a bigger deal. Right. And like I was saying, you know, there was every incentive for him to go big. It was only helping at the box office, at yeah. the award shows. So it maybe also could have been a studio thing where they were like, yeah, we get Pacino. We want Pacino. He's going to show us Pacino and maybe show us the Pacino. Exactly. Show us the ass. So maybe uh, Michael Mann was like, we want fucking Pacino. I'll give you a goddamn Pacino. And then boom, you you sure, sure do get a lot of sure it. Sure got it. No shortage. Sure got it. He's a short man. He looks short. Yeah. He. Oh, he's very... Well, his suits were also too big for him. Everyone's suits. I, I noticed... Think that was just a 90s Yeah, thing. De Niro... Oh, okay. Here's an interesting thing. This is a 90s movie, but it feels like it takes place in the 80s somehow. Yeah. It, yeah. And that's kind of Michael Mann's whole thing, is his aesthetic is very 80s. In, and not in the stupid way, like the Wonder Woman 84... <laughs> Well, because it's not like trying to be like, "Hey, look at the '80s." I right. mean, this takes place in current. In modern yeah, it's times. it's not supposed it takes to take place, place in '95. Yeah, but I think like Michael Mann came up in the '80s. Like that's you know when he found all his success, and uh, so there's probably just kind of like this is what I know. Uh, so I'm gonna kind of shoot it to look like that, and the movie looks fucking incredible. It looks amazing. It's very funny to watch this movie. I had not seen this. It made me think about true detective season two in like a bad way because it was clearly like everyone thinks of it in a bad way (laughs) for like a lot of reasons and now i was like oh he was nick pizzolato was just trying to ape michael mann in a way that like failing he didn't quite understand it's like yes like attempting to show that la sucks and is ugly yeah But what's so cool about how Michael Mann shoots L.A. is that he chooses all these incredibly ugly locations, Mm -hmm. but the way he frames them and lights them, they are somehow beautiful. Like, it is actually making the city look good in its griminess. And it's sort of like L.A.'s version of, like, 70s New York Mm -hmm, movies, mm -hmm. like Pelham 123, where, like, you get somebody who understands how to frame the city they can work wonders mm-hmm, with it. And I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure anyone's ever captured L.A. the same. Yeah. Uh, like, there have been other great movies that look really good that take place in L.A., but just finding that balance of, you know, all their locations are sort of heightened reality. O- overpasses, underpasses, yeah. like... And lit very dramatically, yeah. but not in a show-off way. It doesn't glamorize no. somehow, and I don't it just, I don't it, understand how he manages to avoid the sort of inherent glamour of cinema, where there's no gloss to it, but yeah. it is beautiful. Yeah, you somehow. Get, you get shots of, like, you know, neon lights from a bar or, mm-hmm. or there's like a lot of like store. There's a lot of blue, a lot like, of blue. a lot of blue... Uh, the underpass scene uh, where I think it's uh, De Niro and John Voight are talking mm-hmm. in a car and you just have this incredible, Stunning. Uh, 
you know, the underpass, it's the best looking underpass you've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and there's, there's just so much of that. There's one scene where Pacino's talking to uh, Buffalo Bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ted, Ted, Ted Levine. Levine. It's just a two shot, but he managed to find a location and shout out to the location manager of Heat, whoever found this stuff, the location scouts. In the deep background, there's a highway. Mm-hmm. It's like down kind of below them and the camera's up a little higher. So mm-hmm. it flattens the whole image and the highway kind of splits uh, Pacino and yeah. Levine and you know, kind of goes right down the middle. And there's some greenery like right around them yeah, there's to, like to add just a little color to, to the frame in a way that's just really interesting. Yeah, it's just a really interesting shot. It's clearly on a very long lenses. Like there's a lot, a lot, of, long, of, lot of long lenses in this. Which is really, I love watching these movies with you because I, like your eye knows that something is Ha- like it's not normal, but I would never have had the vocabulary of like, oh, that's a long lens. Like, <laughs> thank, you. thank you so much. Uh, yeah, it's just it's uh, really can't uh, say enough about how well this movie is is shot, but also just like how unpretentious and unassuming it is. Like it all feels it's this mix of like heightened reality and yet it feels normal. It feels like this mm-hmm, is how it mm-hmm. should be. It never like screams in in your face. Like I feel like movies now, to say nothing of the ones that are trying to do like eighties or nineties aesthetics, mm. it's just so over the top and just so garish. Yeah, I think no one knows how to light anymore. I think that's like the biggest problem. Well, you get two extremes. You either get dull, gray, and ugly and dark, or you get bright neon, like, you know, bisexual Bisexual YouTuber YouTuber. lighting. Uh, (laughs) It's one or the other. And like, I miss when movies just looked cinematic. Or you could see skin tones. Yeah, and like, Heat is a mostly pretty dark movie. Yeah. There's, I don't know, probably about half of it takes place at night. Yeah. And you can see everything. It's dark, but you can see everything. Yeah. So Michael Mann had a very lengthy TV background. You know, he was executive producer of, of Miami Vice, the TV series, plus a bunch of others. And it made me think watching this that this is a TV show. There is so much going on in this movie, which I really admire in a lot of ways, but a lot of stuff gets short shrift because, you know, even though it's like three hours, almost three hours long, there just isn't time to get to everything. Like Danny Trejo, like is part, he gets such short shrift and he's part of De Niro's crew, but he's kind of the only one who doesn't really get much to do. Yeah. Which doesn't feel wonderful given that everyone is, everyone else is, everyone else is white. Also Dennis Haysbert uh, gets pretty, pretty short shrift, shrift. but that, that storyline in particular. So Dennis Haysbert is this like ex-con who is, you know, out on parole and he's struggling because you know, the system is designed to kind of invite recidivism, basically. And, you know, that's really cool to have that in your movie. But like, he's eventually recruit, you know, he he becomes part of De Niro's crew for this one last job. And and then it's like immediately fucking killed. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, oh man, but it feels like in a TV show, we would have followed him along for like multiple episodes and really gotten to know him even more. And that's true with like a lot of these other storylines that it's a movie. It's a like, it works as a movie, but I can't help but feel that A, there is like a five hour cut of this movie somewhere, if not longer. Yeah. (laughs) 
And B, Michael Mann just has this sensibility of like having lots of storylines that some meet up and some don't. And it feels very TV in a really good way. But in 1995, like you couldn't make a TV show like that, really. I mean, Twin Peaks is kind of like the closest I can think of. So it's funny you bring it up. The original script for Heat was written as a pilot. No fucking way. And it became a show briefly called L.A. Takedown, which uh, didn't last very long. It got canceled. Oh, my God. Or actually, no, it just didn't get picked up. Uh, so, Whoa. Uh, you know, he sat on the script for years, for like five years, and then uh, revisited it and turned it into the movie. So you're not wrong. Oh, my God. That makes so much sense. Oh, I'm like, uh, really, so, I'm about to dislocate my shoulder, patting myself <laughs> on the back here. You know, you were just complimenting me on like, oh, having the vocabulary to pick out what kind of lenses they're using and shit. I think uh, your ability to kind of dissect and analyze a script, pretty cool. Like, yeah, you, you absolutely <laughs> nailed, nailed it. it. I think it's because we see the reverse a lot today where a feature script is... That's what I was just Oh, shit. Say. No, no, <laughs> no, no, fine, no. go ahead. Please. Well, what you were just going to say, like, these days you watch a TV show. I think documentaries are the worst right now, but Ooh. there's a lot of TV shows where you're like, Jesus H. Christ, this should have been a two-hour movie. Why did they stretch this into, like, eight or ten episodes? Mm-hmm. And this is the rare movie, Heat, that is, like, this should have been, like, at least... Least, uh, like, like a 10, 10 episode series, eight or 10 episode series yeah. on HBO or FX. This was, this was true detective tamped down Pacino's performance. Yes. You would need to, or you, <laughs> you could not lose your mind. sustain that over, over 10 episodes or anything. There's also a little bit, I can kind of see like a, a breaking bad. I feel like pulls a little bit from this. Uh, mm-hmm. I think all, all like a lot of prestige TV owes a huge debt to this movie and I'm sure all of the showrunners involved in all of those shows have talked about Keith's influence extensively and I just either forgot or just don't care right right. But yeah, like it, uh, you do want to see all these characters, especially because there's so many. I mean, just William Fickner's character, like this oh my money launderer. Money launder. <laughs> and like, there's a whole story there that yeah. you could explore. What's John? I don't want really want to follow John Voight, but like, what's his character's deal? Yeah, he's this kind of How sleazy. Because these, you the you look at the hardware that De Niro's crew has, and I know that they're like part of a larger sort of organized crime syndicate type deal, but you look at like the resources that these guys have to pull these jobs, like the, the, the big bank heist of this movie, even the opening heist, even the opening heist, they, you know, they've got trucks and, and whatnot. And like, but really it's the shootout with the LAPD after the bank robbery where you're like, Oh my fucking God, where did you get all of these insane guns and all of these bullets? And like, this is a very well, that's why they call it organized crime. Wow. I did. I stole that from justified getting to know the organization a little better on Honestly, and, and there's so much here. How did Danny Trejo get involved in oh, this? What's he what doing is with his these deal? Right, exactly. <laughs> well, and Tom Sizemore's character, you get a hint of his backstory. Yeah. And like, you know, he's sort of a family man who's well set up and he really should walk away. But he won't. Wants to do one last job and that's, you know, what he gets. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very good arc, you know, a classic yeah. criminal arc. And, and Val Kilmer's character is like... He's a gambling he's addict. He's a gambling addict. His wife, like... Ashley Judd. She just can't 
can't quit him and yeah. like they have this young son and it's like there's a few a couple touch points for this nice little theme of like parents kind of failing their children in various ways and Michael T. Williamson who plays uh, one of the LAPD guys uh, and who eventually ended up in Justified for a season. Oh, that's nice. He's great. He has this speech to Ashley Judd about like, you know, oh, that's him. Uh, yeah, 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 he's yeah. He's so good uh, and he like is like if you don't give your husband up, your you, son you, you get arrested. You, you get arrested, you go to jail, your son like grows up in the state and it's like a a really great speech and you just want more of everyone's world. Like yeah. I've I rarely see movies where the writer has actually taken to heart that idea that everyone is the hero of their own story. Everyone has their own little movie going on. Mm-hmm. It's heat is just that. It's like the platonic ideal of that almost, yeah. it feels like. Well, let's talk about that uh, big bank heist. It's sort of the midpoint of the movie. It is like the big set piece of the movie. Yeah, which is crazy. Again, thinking back to like <laughs> the the start of the movie. Yeah, right. Uh, and it is just a complete and utter shit show. And like, yeah, the criminals, I guess, shoot first. Val Kilmer shoots first. Yeah. But then the cops have no compunction about just firing into oh my God, a crowd the, the of like... The complete disregard of human grocery life. Grocery shoppers and, and bank patrons. Like, <laughs> like, it's, you know, this is... It takes place in downtown LA, uh, and so it's kind of funny to see that many people yeah, around. They would not be there. <laughs> Maybe the 90s were different. I, um, I don't think they were. I, yeah, I th- in fact, it was probably worse. Yeah, I think so. But whatever, I, sure. like that's fine. That's fine. Um, but yeah, everyone is just shooting all around. The cops in particular are like, you know, the bad guys. It's bad enough, but like Pacino is just firing everywhere. Like, yeah, he yells at some people to get down, but it's right? like, like okay, he shoots Tom Sizemore in wow. the head while Tom Sizemore is carrying a child. Like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, like the, I don't think the cops handled the situation well and i do i like it that's intentional that's part of the the movie talking about how de niro and pacino are two sides of the same coin in mm-hmm. this movie and like you know neither of them can kind of quit doing this even though it's kind of bad for both of them yeah the cops and the thieves are two sides of the mm-hmm. same coin of just like this just well-organized militia. Right? Like, which feels kind of like a nice thematic throwback to, you know, the early days of noir, where that's the point of noir, right? Which is, like, you can't trust the law. That's why you have to hire a Perry Mason or whatever. Private detective or whatever. Yes, and also, you know, don't trust a dame. Well, sure. (laughs) She'll she'll steer you wrong every time. Correct. Uh, Oh, oh no. Uh, She'll have you do a podcast. (laughs) She'll climb on the counters. <laughs> In her bare feet, and, running and, around. And get you on a podcast. God damn it. It's sort of a throwback movie. It's a little bit, reminds you a little bit of like the sort of Hayes Code era, 1930s gangster movies. Even up to the point where like, you know, with the Hayes Code, the gangster always had to die at the end. Yeah. Like the original Scarface yeah. and then Public Enemy. By the way, did not know that Scarface, like the one that we know. The Pacino. Yeah, the Pacino one. I did not know that that was a 
remake. I think I actually saw the original before I saw the 1981. No kidding. We saw it in a film class. Oh, uh, sure. Because we watched like a bunch of those kind of, you know, gangster era movies. Yeah. And I think this one is sort of just like, hey, what if one of those like tight 80, because they weren't even 90 minute movies, most of them. Yeah. What if one of those was stretched out to three hours? What if we made it into a TV show? Oh, wait, shit. It, we can't make it into a TV show. No one show. will pick it up. <laughs> shit. We're ahead of our time, really. Like, I think yes. He, if it was pitched today, every exec would be like, please make it a TV show. Can yes, we, can this absolutely. be a TV? We're not going to give you the funding. There's no superheroes. But if you want to, you know, bring it over to FX or AMC or HBO or Netflix, maybe. I don't see Netflix doing this. Mm-mm. But one of the it's other too ones. too grown up. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no <laughs> teens being witches or whatever. Uh, Although, like, shout out to Wednesday, which is like a cute. totally delightful little show. It's a little cute little show. show, yeah. I could totally see this being a prestige, like Emmy yes. winning. John Langreff uh, would would, Landgraf like, would, love would it. really enjoy having Heat the TV show if, like, Heat the movie hadn't existed. So, Although uh, maybe even... <laughs> I'm actually surprised that this hasn't... There is rumor, like, Michael Mann has been talking about there being a sequel. And I don't know what that would be exactly. It would uh, have to be a spiritual sequel. I think he also like they? wrote a book, maybe? Oh. But either way, like I think if there were to be any kind of sequel, maybe it should be a TV show. Like kind of populate it with a new cast, new characters and everything. Maybe yeah. there's like one guy from the old movie or something. Uh, although pretty much everyone dies in it, yeah. so I don't know who it would be. Hank Azaria, maybe. Natalie, Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman, who is a child in this. She's like a yeah. teen. Yeah, and she uh, does a teen suicide or a teen suicide attempt. attempt. Yeah, she just wants she just wants a dad to pay attention. Yeah, to her. she wants any literally any adult in her life to care about her yep. and and uh, is struggling again. That's like a that's a full season arc on a TV series where like it builds and and like the sh- the the movie does a great job of of like building. But, like, it feels so tangential to the rest of things. Well, and, yeah, there's just not enough time. Again, weird to say in a three-hour movie, but, right. like, Natalie Portman only gets, like, three or four scenes total. Mm-hmm. And uh, she does a great job, particularly the her first scene where she kind of has a little breakdown because she can't find her barrettes. Oh, my God, that's such a well-observed it's- thing. I love that. Yeah, it was very teen, very, like, troubled teen. Very troubled teen. But, like, like in, in a, a real way, in not a very in a very yeah, exactly. Not in a like uh, Terminator Two, like oh, I'm right. robbing the I'm, ATM. I'm doing skateboard tricks. Right. No, it's like I am full of anxiety that my deadbeat dad is once again not going to come pick me up, and I am going to externalize that anxiety by having an absolute. F- screaming fucking meltdown about my little blue hair clips that I can't find. It's so well observed. That hit me really hard for some reason. I think because it's just relatable. Like, you know, you remember being a teen and just having unregulated emotions. Yeah. You probably don't even know that it's the anxiety over your shitty dad standing you up. So even if someone asked you about it, you couldn't actually articulate. Yeah, that was the word I was looking for. Articulate. You mentioned earlier how this movie is sort of a showcase for parents doing a bad job. Pacino is constantly talking shit about the deadbeat dad, like, you know, the ex-husband of of his wife, I guess. It's interesting to see 
Pacino talking shit about this guy when it's like, yeah, man, you're doing the same fucking thing. Like she wants to you to pay attention to her. Yeah. And you're not really. He's not. But at the same time, he is the, the, the most best. involved. Yeah. Like mom, just Jesus. Mom is just like a, a kind of hippy dippy weirdo artist type. Like Living who just in a tacky can't be, yeah, house. Who just can't be bothered. She tries. She has good intentions, but she just like. She's too busy having the hair cut from Fleabag. <laughs> I look like a pencil. <laughs> Shout out to Fleabag. That's Great right. show. The whole Natalie Portman thing, uh, everyone else, like, just shockingly well observed. The only reason it's shocking, like, Michael Mann is a very good writer and director. But I think the reason that it's shocking is because I've seen so many things of late that are not well observed. There is a trend right now, at least particularly in movies, of, haha, look at this thing that I kind of saw on the internet and I know is a trend or is like a kind of person. And I'm not going to actually really dive into that and really observe mm-hmm. it. I'm just going to make a commentary so you know that I know. Yeah, I saw a tweet. Basically, like, what if a movie was all I saw a tweet? We both are, have a specific we movie in mind. We have a specific mind, movie in mind, but everyone, but everyone loves it. So we're just going to shut the fuck Actually, up Actually, not everyone it. loves this this one. The everyone loves the first people. one, but also whatever. Yeah, but like, it is nice to see a movie that, for the most part, Pacino notwithstanding. Yeah, you like, know, Pacino's off in his own movie. Yeah, he's doing the Dunkachino commercial. From, Dunkachino! Was that from Jack and Jill? Is that the movie that that oh, was in? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Oh. It's like the one very funny scene in an otherwise pretty rough movie. Did you actually see that? No, I've just watched oh, the okay. scene a bunch. Oh, okay. I saw somebody making fun of that scene, of the Dunkachino scene, uh, for being like, oh my God, this is so lame. It's like, that's the fucking point. That is the that's point. That's the point, you, yeah. you dumb asshole. Uh, getting <laughs> irrationally to, mad. Oh no, not to defend Jack, Jack and, and Jill. Jill. Oof. No, but like that was the point of that scene. Yeah. Media literacy. There's like a it is there's rough. a problem. It is fucking rough. Looking forward to when there's eventually discourse around heat and like the women and heat. I'm kind of surprised there hasn't been yet because heat is a surprisingly like online movie. The movie itself is not online, but people (laughs) online, like people on Twitter, it has this interesting place in the online culture. Mm. Like you get a lot of people talking about it. Like I mentioned Michael Mann facts earlier, (laughs) Uh, but like a lot of big online people follow that account. I don't know who runs it, but like there's a weird kind of like, culture surrounding this movie yeah kind of a little mini subculture surrounding it uh and like it's a great movie it's guys being dudes it's but also i do feel like the women like i know i mean amy brenneman gets kidnapped basically at the end but throughout she's actually like she feels like a whole person with her own life and like she doesn't want to go with Robert De Niro, like, yeah, she kind of... She does. She does, but it's much more relatable. All of the women are quite relatable. Like, Al Pacino's wife does not take his shit. No. She's like, oh my God, you know what? I'm fucking tired of how, like, you refuse to share anything with me. And Pacino is like, what, should I tell you about the meth head microwaving his baby because it won't stop crying? And it's and she, like, just puts her head in her hands and is like, yeah, like, basically, <laughs> you know, that's what a marriage is supposed to be. And she, that's the moment when she, like, gives up. Right. And it's like, 
yeah, she's kind of a wackadoo, you know. She's a hippy-dippy artist. But, but like, at the same time, it does feel extremely relatable. Like, yeah. yeah, she's put up with this for who knows how long, and she's tired of it. Like, she still loves him. But, like, he's not getting they're heading, back. Yeah, and, like, they're heading for divorce. Like, There's only so much she can do, and she's got to live her life, and she's not going to just sit around <laughs> waiting for this guy who's, you know, out at 2 a.m. talking to, like, random people in random, random bars. burglars and shit. <laughs> kind of a similar theme that the Irishman had of, mm-hmm. you know, these career criminals who end up ending their lives with no one. And yeah. like in the Irishman, it, he dies of old age yeah, uh, and is all alone and everyone has abandoned him. And in this one, he just gets shot at LAX, which oof. That's somehow worse. Somehow worse. <laughs> uh, but like, it's the same kind of theme. And, but yeah, this movie does at least, it gives the women a little more agency and a little bit more of just their own arcs yeah, and characters. Like, uh, Dennis Haysbert has a girlfriend, wife. The movie goes to her we see her find out that Dennis Haysbert he was doing well and she was like just stick it out with a shitty job until we can find you a better one like can you just do that and she thinks he is and then nope nope he fucked it up and now he's dead and we get to see her find that out and I find that I don't know a a movie that is misogynistic or whatever like that wouldn't do that well the misogyny is the point too when it when it does occur it is like with a purpose yeah i'm not even misogyny might not even be the right word i think like overall the leads here aren't necessarily misogynistic they're just it is sort of in the parlance of our time toxic masculinity it is that is the point like these guys should not be emulated they should not yeah yeah really heroes de niro's philosophy that he espouses you know multiple times throughout the movie is live your life so that you can walk away from everything in 30 seconds i mean it's basically the same philosophy as clooney and up in the air and like that's bad yeah like you shouldn't do that the movie is like no this sucks shit Mm -hmm. you know and then you know de niro does follow through on that like he does you know leave poor uh amy brenneman but like you can see it in his face that like oh my god you know this is the life I led and it has led me to just leaving this woman who loves me in a shitty Camaro and a in the back lot of uh, the Marquis LAX hotel. yeah at LAX the, the Marquis Marriott uh, and like there's a satisfying and very sad conclusion there and it's very fitting and it's just it's just good writing it is I suspect if twitter survives there will be a day where i bet it's happening on mastodon right now god yeah somebody will say something i mean i just saw a tweet the other day where somebody was like uh does anyone ever like talk about how in the matrix like the big action scene is a guy walking in and just killing a bunch of civilians and it's when uh, neo and trinity walk into the yeah um, and shoot all the security guards and it was like Yes. People have been People talking have about People have talked about that for 20 fucking years. Yeah. Like, there was like a, an extensive moral panic about that movie because <laughs> Columbine happened like a month after it came out. They were wearing they wore, trench coats. They wore fucking trench coats. Like, yes. People talked about it. It was a whole thing. For a long time. And it's just part of that media literacy thing of like, look, I'm sure whoever this person was who tweeted that wasn't alive or was very young when that movie came out. Sure. But like, I don't know, man, take a second and look up as you watch the movie, like, Jesus, this is kind of problematic. I wonder, and then like Does Google it. it. Yeah. Just instead of Google instead it. of asking 
the internet. Like there's two, there's two ways of asking the internet for information, right? Right. One is literally posing the question to other people on a social media site. And the other is just fucking Googling it. Do the bare minimum. Ask the internet that way. And I know like, I wonder if part of this is also uh, like part of the reason that we get more people asking kind of silly things on social media, as opposed to Googling it is because Googling it doesn't work anymore. I've had real problems in the last few months, I feel like, and it's probably been going on for longer, but Googling things just doesn't work anymore somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can still get to like Wikipedia and IMDb and get the information you need, but you do have to try a little harder. You have to like be a bit more research oriented, I think, instead of just literally plugging a question into Google. And maybe, you know, having Google for the past 20 years kind of conditioned in two generations now to just not be research-oriented because all the information's right there, and then it stops working, maybe that leads to problems. Maybe that's uh, really going to blow up in our faces. It already is. Right? Like, everyone is just completely just helpless little... Uh, lambs <laughs> in the field waiting for the wolves. Uh, yeah, I think a lot about th- uh, seeing some young person ask Reddit, she was running out of space on Google Drive, and so it never occurred to her to delete things. Like, you can download them onto your computer and then delete them from Google Drive. And she was like, what? We're all real dependent, sort of a learned helplessness at this point. Yeah. Oh, uh, speaking of the internet, uh, Heat actually like is aware because that's like kind of how they get the information for the bank or some of the information for the bank robbery is like... Because that comes from Tom Noonan at the very beginning. What I like about that scene is it avoids the 90s trap of... What is the internet where like you Let's get explain it. just the worst looking UIs, you know, when they <laughs> try to type something in yeah. or, you know, you get the bad hacking scenes or you get like this weird VR kind of looking stuff mm-hmm. like hackers. Mm-hmm. And this was just a, a nice Tom Newman's just like, yeah, it's just all out there. You just reach out and grab it. And it's kind of kooky enough and dismissive enough, but feels plausible. It gets the point across. Like, we don't really need to know how they get the information. We just know the movie needs to happen. The movie needs to happen. And also, yeah, I bet there was a bunch of unencrypted shit. Yeah, just Excel docs just floating around. So it is believable that that's how that would happen. And I appreciate that the movie doesn't try to spend a lot of time. Like, he's not some hacker character who's like, you know, in a dark room. I really love how much of this movie is just two people in a room talking or two people talking on the phone. Talking on the phone or like in some weird, like at the port of LA yeah, or, you know, in a diner in like some weird rundown back alley somewhere deep in LA. Some shitty bar club. Like as you always say, there's texture. There's so much texture here. So good job, everyone. Good Good job. Good job, Heat. You could probably, I was going to say you could probably lose like 30 minutes from this. I know. It's hard. But it's hard because I do want to know more about the characters. I think there are some scenes that go on a little long and it's usually the relationship scenes. Mm -hmm. Overall, I think it's pretty well paced where the longer scenes like the bank robbery Mm -hmm. are earned. Yeah, I think the solution to any issues or whatever with with this movie or or just turn it into a TV show. I can't believe I'm saying that. The rare, rare movie these days where you can actually say that 
and not the other way around of like, Jesus Christ, cut this down, this, this cut is, this fucking you down. You only had to, I think so often of the tweet, TV shows are crazy these days. Back at, you know, you used to have, if a show was called Surf Dracula, that motherfucker was riding a surfboard every episode. And now it, it's like 10 episodes of just- How he, he got the surfboard. How he got the fucking surfboard. The last five minutes of the 10th episode, you see him surfing. <laughs> and yeah, that is all TV now. Heat. It's good. It's on Hulu now. Yeah, Heat's a weird one where it jumps around and kind of can disappear. Right now, it's a golden time for Heat. It's on Stars and Hulu. Mm. Uh, So check it out. Check it out, y'all. I think next for the next one, we should do Out of Sight because it also involves bank robbery, but not as armed and a little less shooty. A little sexier. And it's way... Like, you will want... It's Clooney and J-Lo, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is, like, by far, JLo's best performance yeah. like and it only seems fair after I had you watch the kind of non-action movie Apollo 13 <laughs> that now you get your non-action movie it's totally an action movie is it yeah you were the one who was like I don't know if we should do this it's not you know an what now movie. now I'm I'm all in oh all right I'm all in okay so coming up next time if we can find it we might just, just I would rent it, or rent it oh, okay. like coming up next time out of sight bye